Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen As-salatu wassalamu ala Rasulullah al-Kareem Amma ba'd So mashallah this week we are doing the name Al-Hamid The name Al-Hamid So Hamid means the praised one The one who is extolled and praised But we did this a few times last year That the form that this comes in Hamid um, If we can see this side? So Hamid is on this. This is how the word looks in Arabic, right? Hamim Yadad. And so this is on the same scale as this word here, which is Balir. Okay? As opposed to Hamid or Hamd. Right, so like hamd would be just hamim dal. So when this ya comes in the middle, and you get a kasra on the meme on the second letter, so what happens is it gives a exaggerated meaning to the word. So if hamd is praise, then hamid is more praise, right? <coughs> um, and so it means the one who is extremely praised. You can say now. The word that it comes from, as we mentioned, is hamd. There's a few different types of praise that can happen, or a few different aspects to this. So hamd in general means to, it's praise which mentions, it's praise, and that means that it is to mention the good qualities of someone. So there's a few different aspects. One is mad, mim, dal, ha. Okay, mad. And this is praise, uh, to praise someone for any good quality that they might have. Then there's shukr. And shukr is an expression to someone who has done you a favor. So you make thanks to someone, right? You give thanks to someone. Then there's thana. And thana is to express someone's qualities of perfection. So you have mad, which is to praise someone for any good quality. You have shukr, which is to thank someone for uh, a favor they've done to you. Or an expression to someone who has done a favor to you. And thana, which is to express qualities of perfection. So these are a few different aspects. So like, there's the opening du'a of the salah. When we start, you make an opening du'a. And this is called thana. This is to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And there's a... Now, when we begin, what do we begin with? When we begin salah, when we begin... The first verse of the... first chapter of the Qur'an is what? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Right? So, alhamd. All praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the worlds. This... First of all, it's mentioned in tafsir that these, the first few ayat here, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yawmiddin. What is the meaning of these things? That, or what does it entail? What, are the, what happens when we recite these verses? There's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, wherein he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself says that when my servant says, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, that all praise belongs to Allah, the Lord of the worlds, then he has paid homage to me. Homage meaning what? Some type of special honor or some type of public respect. That's what homage is, to pay homage to someone. So Allah Ta'ala says that when my servant recites this, then they have paid homage to me. When he recites Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, then he has praised me. And when he recites Maliki Yawmiddin, then he has proclaimed my greatness. All of these are different forms of praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And he is the all-praised one. Now if we, if we look at this word, it's you know, amazing. Every, anyone who's been to some type of formal study, right? Like in a madrasa or something. They'll always have one, sometime throughout their stu- career as a student, they will have one class where the teacher comes in. Uh, so we, this, was, this happened in my fourth year. We were doing a book called uh, Nurul Anwar. It's a book of usul al-fiqh. So you get in and everyone's excited to, to learn it and start and it opens up. And you know, every book will begin with the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Right? All praise belongs to Allah, the, you know, so on and so forth, whatever the, however somebody wants to praise Allah Ta'ala. So we didn't even get to, we got, we did Alhamd, and then the, our teacher stopped us right there. And we spent the next 40 minutes speaking about that, that's it. 40 minutes just on that. And he could have gone on as well, right? There's so much that goes into praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. And so we won't do the recap of the entire thing, <laughs> but a few things that he mentioned. One is that first when we say Alhamd, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. If you look at the form of the word, the Alif Lam that comes at the beginning of it, that is added to Hamd, 
Generally, it would mean it would translate to the praise. Okay, so if you say rajul, it's man. If you say ar rajul, it's the man, right? It 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 provides some type of specification. From so, for example, you can say a man or the man. There's a difference. The man is specified. There's a particular individual that's being spoken about. But that's not the type of alif lam that this is. That's added to it. This is an alif lam called alif uh, the alif lam of istighraq. And this means that it is encompassing, it's not the praise, because the praise could mean the best praise, or a specific type of praise, but it's all praise. So meaning, all the praises that there are, belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Any type of praise there is in the whole world, belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In the world, in the heavens, those that we have not even learnt, all of that belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this means that, Behind that, if you look at anything that's in this world, you look at any invention, you look at any discovery, you look at any creation, you look at anything in this world, right? you might have a pen that writes really nicely. <laughs> okay, anything. All of any praise or compliment to anything is actually a praise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It doesn't mean that by you praising it, now you've gone against, you're doing something that you shouldn't have done. In reality, what you understand is that by praising this thing, you are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. Okay, and the reason for that is because whatever you look at, behind all of it, behind the cosmos, behind the, you know, man-made inventions, behind all of it is what, is the same creative power, unique creative power. All of it is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So by praising anything, you are praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. And we have to understand theologically, we understand that it is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. So you can praise somebody. And you can compliment them, but we should also understand that Allah Ta'ala is the one who gave that benefit to that individual. Or He allowed us to benefit in such and such a way. Right? Somebody will come to you and say, oh, thank you so much. You know, you really helped me. Or thank you so, or you know, uh, whatever, this looks really nice. Or, oh, you did such a great job. We should understand that this is from Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. That Allah Ta'ala allowed me to do this. So we, we shouldn't engage in self-praise, but rather we thank Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala for the bounties He's given us, for using us in different ways that help people. And by thanking Him, that is also praising Him. Okay, so when we say Alhamd, Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen, the very first words of the Qur'an that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses, Alhamd, all praise belongs to Allah. What it actually does is it cuts off, it cuts off polytheism from its root. It cuts off shirk from its root. Because you're saying that there's no praise that belongs to anyone else or anything else. All of it belongs to Allah. Okay, and then even this, uh, this lamb that appears, Alhamdulillahi. This is a lamb that indicates belonging. Okay, it indicates towards what this praise is for. So immediately, with the very first word of Qur'an, Allah Ta'ala has cut off any type of idolatry or polytheism or shirk or anything. All the praise belongs to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this shows exclusivity. Right? That's what this praise is. It shows exclusiveness that all the praise is, is specifically for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, as we mentioned that thanking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thanking is also a type of praise. Somebody does something good for you, you thank them. You know, man, you really did a lot for me. You, what you've actually done is you've praised them, right? And we mentioned that there's, you know, we mentioned madh, shukr, and thana. So how is it different from shukr? It says that, uh, the ulama write that it is more general than shukr. Shukr is for something specific, as we mentioned, a specific, a favor that somebody did for you. Praise is more general than that. Uh, it's mentioned that al-hamid, specifically, is similar in meaning to al-mahmud. So mahmud, in Arabic, this is called ismul maf'ul. This is like that thing that the action is done upon, right? So, for example, I can hit something, and the thing that I hit... So if I hit something, I'm darib. And the thing that was hit is madrub. Okay? So Mahmud follows the same scale. Madrub, Mahmud. Okay? Hamid is similar in meaning to Mahmud. The one who is praised. So it shares a meaning with that. And that means to enumerate or to attempt to do so. To, why? Due to the perfection of qualities. So we say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-Hamid because... He has qualities, he has attributes, and he is absolute and perfect in those qualities and attributes. So as we said many times before, we can share the names of the attributes of Allah, but not the realities of them. Because Allah Ta'ala possesses those attributes, number one, without ever having been removed from them, 
or separate from them. And number two, because he has absolute and perfection in those attributes. You know, our, our, if we share those names, the names of those attributes, it can be cut off from us. We can unlearn it, we can forget it, we can, it can be taken away from us, but it cannot be taken away from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Allah ta'ala, why do we praise Him? He is praised, why? By virtue of His own praise, Imam Ghazali says. He's praised by virtue of His own praise for Himself, from, for all of eternity. And He is praised by His servants' praise of Him forever. So His servants praise Him forever. Now, <clears throat> also Imam Ghazali, he says that this is related to the attributes of majesty. So we did the majestic one, Al-Jalil, and, uh, and to exaltation, Al-Ali. So Al-Hamid is related to those. But in addition, it has the aspect of perfection with it. So it's related to his majesty, Jalil, and to his exaltation, Ali, the high one, uh, but with the added aspect of perfection. And that's where we get the understanding of Al-Hamid. So what is praise? Imam Ghazali goes into then saying that praise involves recalling the attributes of perfection insofar as they are perfect. So praise is, it involves recalling the attributes of perfection insofar as they are perfect. And so they give an example saying that we praise somebody, why? Why do we praise an individual? We praise something who, we praise that thing that has benefited us. So something that has brought us benefit, we give praise to that thing after having taken benefit from it. So who is the one that provided that benefit? Right? If somebody gives me a phone, right? And they say, you know, this is for you, gift, whatever. And I take benefit from the phone. Then by praising the phone, I'm praising the one who gave me that phone because they became the one who allowed me to benefit. So similarly, if we look all around us and all the different favors and bounties and qualities and you know, comforts that we have, all of that is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He facilitated it for us. He allowed us to, to achieve it. He put the hard work in us, the ability to make, to do, hard, give, to do hard work, so that we could achieve whatever we achieve. So we shouldn't think that, you know, I did it on my own. You know, many people get into this, uh, they, they get into this idea that, you know, things are going bad for me. Why does this always happen to me? You know, why is Allah doing this to me? And then what? Oh, I fought through it and I achieved it. And then something bad happens. And oh, why did Allah do this to me? No, it's, it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He put the difficulty on us and then He allowed us to come out of it. He removed that difficulty. But He put us in a difficulty possibly because He wanted us to be thankful to Him after, not having the, after being removed from that difficulty. So that we could remember how it is to be thankful. To, uh, of, you know, when, you, when something is taken away from you, that's when you begin to appreciate it. Perhaps this is one of the reasons why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala might put some difficulty upon us. So He benefits us. He's the one that allows us to take benefit from the things around us. And so we praise Him for those things. Right? Then Imam Ghazali rahimahullah, he mentions that when performing the duties owed to Allah, we are benefiting materially and spiritually. So Allah ta'ala has sanctioned certain things and He has prohibited certain things. When we perform those duties, and those duties come upon us all the time, right? regularly they come upon us, hourly, daily, you know, by the minute, so many different duties come upon us, not necessarily obligations in and of themselves as like salah, like salah is not necessarily, you know, hour, an hourly obligation, but regularly certain things Allah Ta'ala has commanded us to act in a certain way. When we act in accordance to that, when we adhere to that, then we benefit both materially and spiritually. And Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala says, Ya yuhannas, antumul fuqara ilallah, wallahu huwal ghaniyul hamid. That, O mankind, you are the fuqara, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You are the ones who are needy and dependent of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah, who al ghaniul hamid, He is independent and He is the one who all praise is to Him. The most praised one. That's who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. So what is He telling us? You have needs and Allah ta'ala fulfills those needs. Therefore, you should praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because those needs have been fulfilled. Because He has given you an outlet. Because He has given you comforts. You know, and we should always be in a state that we are praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The ulama write that through this, humanity is advanced. So where, how are we fuqara? We are fuqara in everything. We are needy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for everything, materially and spiritually. Right? So Allah ta'ala has sanctioned certain things for us in this world. And He has forbidden certain things in this world because that doing so would be, to stay away from it would be a benefit. Or doing the things that are sanctioned would be a benefit to us, materially. You know, so for example, Allah ta'ala has forbidden 
premarital relations. And it has been mentioned that when people engage in these types of things, then what happens? Disease will come upon them. You know? And you can see that when people engage, when it becomes so general and accepted in a, in a civilization, in a society, to, do those, to engage in those types of things, how many like, sexually transmitted diseases are there? You know? We have like, weird kind of mutated diseases that are coming up that the world never even knew about before. You know? It's because of the things that we're doing oftentimes. You know? That's why. So Allah has said, stay away from this and it will be, ben- it'll be a benefit to you. And then spiritually, it's a benefit also. And the spiritual benefit can be witnessed in this life. It can, and obviously, it relates, pertains to the akhirah as well. right? That you become closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You feel more zeal in doing good and staying away from bad. You find it easier to do good. You find it hard to go in, do, down the path of evil. So we benefit materially and spiritually. Because Allah only commands us to do those things that are good. If He has commanded it, that means there is good in it for us. And if he has prohibited it, that means there is bad in it for us, even if we fail to recognize it or realize it. Imam Razi, rahimullah, he mentions that everyone has their own rank when it comes to the praise of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So he says that the, the layman, the commoners, they praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for enabling them to enjoy physical pleasures. So the layman, they will thank and praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because Allah ta'ala allows them to do some, you know, uh, in, to have physical enjoyments, right? So we eat when we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's kind of the extent of the layman, okay? The elite, so people who are a step above that, the elite praise him for the spiritual pleasures. So enjoyment we might get out of our salah, enjoyment we might get out of making dhikr, out of reading Quran, enjoyment we might get out of doing good, you know? I think last year somebody asked a question along those lines about doing good and these types of things, right? So if you get enjoyment in it, that's a good sign, right? You do something good, you, have, you enjoy it. Because some people find it very hard to do, <laughs> to do good things. You know, some people are, kind of have more of an inclination towards doing bad things. So if you have enjoyment in doing something good, that is something we should praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for as well. Then he says the, muqarrib, the muqarrabin, those who are even closer to him, they praise him for what? No, that's a good, that's a good answer. <laughs> right? They praise him for what he is and for no other reason. They praise him just for what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That's so why we say, what is the highest aim? The highest aim is to attain Jannah? No. The highest aim is to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? That's the highest aim. That you act just so that you can please Allah. That's all, that's all that matters to you. Right? So, the muqarrabin, they praise him for what he is and for no other reason. You know, and it's mentioned that on Yom Al-Qiyamah, what happens when everybody is running around going crazy and, you know, eventually they arrive at the feet of Rasulullah and say that, you know, intercede on our behalf. You know, I don't even care if I'm going to Jahannam, I just want the day of reckoning to come to an end. Because this is too much. Anticipation is too much. And he will go and make sajda to, the, to, to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, out of his love for the Messenger of Allah, he will tell him, raise your head. Right? That raise your head. Raise, raise up, rise up, right? Uh, and, and, and intercede so that your intercession may be accepted. And the Prophet ﷺ will then begin by praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he will praise him in such a way that he has never been praised before. With such praises that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will teach him just at that moment. At that very moment. So there's no end to how we can praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no end to it. It's mentioned that Dawud because uh, uh, praising Allah Ta'ala is related to shukr. So Dawud is said to have stated that, Oh Allah, how can I thank you when thanking you is a blessing that you have bestowed upon me? And then Allah Ta'ala said that now you have thanked me. To realize that you cannot thank Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala enough, that is really the ultimate thanks that you can give to Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala. So realizing that we can, we can never praise Allah Ta'ala in the way that He deserves. Recognizing and realizing that is the highest praise that you can have. And then it is mentioned that when you praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when you, when you receive something, then you should praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You should thank the person that gave it to you, and then you should praise Allah ta'ala as well. And when you do that, that is like giving them back something better than what they gave you. So when you praise Allah ta'ala for having received something, it's like giving back better than what you were given. And the Prophet ﷺ, he said, La thanan alayk that I am not able to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I'm not able to praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in, what, in how He deserves. 
right? Or know what is befitting for him, you can say. So then the counsel that Imam Ghazali gives, he says that among people, the one whose beliefs, character, and actions are all praised without any contender is the Prophet Muhammad whose beliefs, character, and actions are praised without any contender. No one can compete with, in any, with an individual in these three things. That is only Rasulullah And whoever nears him from the prophets, saints, and scholars then has their, their place, right? Then the next, the best people after that are those from the prophets, saints, and scholars who, it's, who, who, who their beliefs, character, and actions are praised without contention or with less, you know, there's, with less contention than with others. And so the more that your beliefs and character and actions, the higher praise that you might get for it. And this doesn't necessarily mean, this is like worthy of praise. Sometimes you do good things and people don't praise you for it or they don't even think it's a good thing, you know? This is worthy of praise. When your beliefs, actions, and character come to that level, that there's less, there's not as many people or anyone that would be able to compare with you in it, compete with you in it, then that is getting closer to that level of being somebody who takes from the share of Hamid, Al-Hamid. However, he mentions that no one is free from blemish and deficiency, so the only absolute praised one is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Right? The, only, the only insan that was perfect was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Right, and the prophets, uh, and the prophets and messengers after him. Any questions on that one, Hamid? So we should always remain in the state that we are praising Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, and we should say that Ya Allah, you know, I praise you in ways that um, that you are deserving of, because how can we, you know? And if the more intimate we are with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala, the more we love Him, the ease, the more ways we'll find to praise Him, and the more we'll feel that that's not enough in praising Him. Right, so one one is to say, Ya Allah, you know, I praise you as you ought to be praised. But one is to feel it and realize it, you know, that I'm uh, incapable of praising him as he deserves. Then Imam Ghazali he goes on to Al Muhsi. So Muhsi is what Muhsi comes from the word Ihsa. So like we just uh, said the Hadith, La Uhsi Thanaan Alik. Same same similar word, right? Same word, same root word. Muhsi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, muhsi means the knower of each separate thing. The knower of each individual thing. So it's related to alim and khabir and shaheed. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran, وَأَحْسَى كُلَّ شَيْءٍ عَدَدًا That he has, uh, he has a count for everything. Every single thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about it has a count and calculation for all of it. So, it means that he knows everything in its individualistic and intricate form. Every aspect about everything he knows it. This is, you can say, it's like the possessor of quantitative knowledge. Right? So quantitative as opposed to qualitative. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the possessor of quantitative knowledge, all quantitative knowledge. So you can say, for example, you have a phone. Who knows how their phone works? One of Ramashaykh gave this example. Who knows how their phone works? Anybody? Completely. Uh, every aspect of the phone. No, it's not even needed that we know, right? We just, like, we know we can dial and hit a button and it works, right? Even the people that work on the phone, they don't know how it all works. They know the aspect that they worked on. Now, this is something that you can learn. You can actually, I mean, it's going to be futile, but you can go and learn about every single aspect of how it works, what exactly happens and how it all happens. You can do that. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows about all of that for everything. That's just one phone. That's just one phone. You know, it's interesting, like when, uh, when the iPhone first came out and it was all the big whole touchscreen thing, you know, it was taken to the next step, the next level, and then everyone tried to compete, right? So you had BlackBerry come out with one and LG came out with one and you had all these other, right? Windows already had a touchscreen which was like nowhere in comparison and, you know, you had the, the Palm Pilots and all that stuff. Everyone tried to copy it, but no one could just pull it off. How smooth it was, or they just couldn't pull it off exactly right. You know, so they they weren't they didn't know exactly how the workings of were. That's why copyright and all that is there. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala knows everything. Now imagine He knows everything outwardly and inwardly. So you have like the human body, okay? Now, okay, you know, well, how does the body work? Well, you have the heart and you have the brain and the lungs do this and the kidneys do that and the liver does that. Okay, but what about that's not all it is because you can put all those things together, and it's not gonna work, <laughs> right? There's something else happening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows such intricacy about it that like, you know, what happens with the different proteins and the amino acids and all these other, you know, terms and all that. He knows exactly how it all works, not just what they are 
and what type of benefit they give, but he knows every single aspect of it. Sometimes you go to the doctor and they tell you about something in your body that you didn't even know was there. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or you have parts of your body that even we don't know, like, what, they, what are they for? You know, like the wisdom teeth. They're like, yeah, they'll have some, like, evolution thing and we don't need it anymore. But, you know, some people, was just like last week we were talking, somebody said, no, the appendix doesn't serve a purpose. And some people were saying, no, the appendix does serve a purpose. And <laughs> you know what I mean? So Allah Ta'ala knows everything. Absolutely, He knows everything. So to know absolutely and to comprehend them, this is called reckoning of something. This is ihsa, which is what the word muhsi comes from. Right? This is meem ha sad. Yeah. Okay, muhsi. So we said, mentioned that it's related to alim and khabir and shaheed. So alim was what? The one, the most knowledgeable, the omniscient, the all-knowledgeable. Khabir is the all-informed and shaheed is the all-witnessing. So how is it related to that? It sounds kind of similar, right? They say that it should, the ulama mentioned that it should, when we look at alim and khabir and shaheed, and then we look at muhsi. Muhsi is what we, what do we say? It pertains to quantitative knowledge, to count something, right? So this, knowing this name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it should encourage a person to know that no matter how small or large a deed is, it will not go uncounted. So Shaykh Mushtaq came a couple weeks ago, he was stressing constantly, I don't know if it was in this class, but he was stressing throughout the weekend that I take solace in the idea that my deeds might be equal on the Day of Judgment. And maybe this one good deed would tip those skills. Right? Maybe one, you never know what good deed would, will tip the scales. Everything is, is counted by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we shouldn't think any action to be too futile, whether it's good or bad. We shouldn't say, ah, oh, this is just something small, man, who cares? Like you can give a few pennies, for example. Right? One penny given out of ikhlas is better than a million dollars given without ikhlas. It's worth more. And that one penny might be enough to tip the scales on the Day of Judgment. And also, when it comes to sins, we shouldn't think of anything to not be a big deal. This is... You know, there's a recent article that's been out uh, on Muslim matters, and they're talking about like the the makeup of of Muslims in America and whatnot. And one of the things that that they, the the sheikh mentions is the idea of public reasoning. You know, so we do things, right? The masajid, the MSAs, the communities, we do things oftentimes based on public reason. Well, what is what do people think about this? What do we think? It doesn't matter what we think. What matters is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala thinks. Right? So, <clears throat> what happens is when we speak about what Allah ta'ala, what is appropriate in Islam, oftentimes, right, what is appropriate, what is inappropriate, oftentimes the response that you get is, but what's the big deal? Like, that's not an academic discussion. <laughs> what's the big deal? You know? You go through all these different aspects of why this should be avoided, why this thing should be done, so on and so forth, and then the response when there is no academic response to it, it's, oh, well, what's the big deal? The response to that should be, well, what isn't a big deal? You know? Like, what do you think is a big deal, rather? Because everything, I mean, the same people will say, we've had conversations, the same people who will engage in every type of shadow that there is, every type of evil that there is, when you speak about something they deem to be small and futile, they'll say, what's the big deal? But clearly, you don't think anything's a big deal because you're engaging in all this other stuff. You know what I mean? And again, yeah, we shouldn't, you know, we shouldn't be... Uh, judgmental. Sometimes people are oftentimes engaging in a sin that they're just having a hard time getting out of, but recognize that. They, but they try to get out of it, you know. And so it's a process. But the what's what will we, we shouldn't allow that public reason to be something that stops us from doing something, or that makes us do something. You know what I mean? So when it comes to standing up for the huck, standing up for what's right, we shouldn't allow something you know, public reason and all that to what people are going to think about it. We shouldn't allow that to stop us from doing what's right. Okay, we're going on a tangent. But <clears throat> regarding Muhsi, says that what every, it is, every small deed will count in a nutshell, right? Every small deed counts and Allah Ta'ala counts all of those things. And so that's why in a hadith, Rasulullah has mentioned to the extent that, to the meaning that what, even if the day of judgment comes and you're planting a tree, we've all heard, heard this hadith, then keep planting it, right? What's the big, I mean, like, the Day of Judgment's coming, man, just, you know, time's up. Keep planting it, because that's one good deed that might go in your skills, and it might be enough to get you into Jannah, you know? On that day, you're going to be, like, we're going to be taking anything we can. We're going to be trying to take from, all, from each other, too, you know? You're on your own. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, so he says that this, we should allow Muhsi to 
we should we should allow it to encourage us to to act on even the smallest of good deeds and to refrain from even the smallest of evil deeds and hold this high standard for us. And so what do we do with this al-muhsi? We take to account because this is reckoning. So we should take ourselves to account. Allah Ta'ala is going to count everything. Allah Ta'ala will take us to account. We should make muhasaba of ourselves. Take ourselves to account. Every day we should think at the end of the day, what did I do that was good? What did I do that wasn't good? How could I improve? Did I hurt anybody today? Some of the ulama mentioned that every, we should, along with every salah we should do this. That between the last salah and now, what did I do that could have improved? What did I do that wasn't appropriate? How may I have harmed somebody between that salah and this salah? And then try and cover up for it. Try and go and, and, and make it up to them. Right? Try and remove it. Make tawbah. So we should take ourselves to account before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala takes us to account. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Qur'an, وَوُذِعَ الْكِتَابُ فَتَرَ الْمُجْرِمِينَ مُشْفِقِينَ مِمَّا فِيهِ That the, the book of deeds will be placed before them. And the wrongdoers, will, the people who do evil, will look and they will fear. They will look at it and they will be fearing uh, what is in it. وَيَقُولُونَ يَا وَيْلَتَنَا مَا لِهَذَا الْكِتَابِ لَا يُغَادِرُ صَغِيرَةً وَلَا كَبِيرَ إِلَّا أَحْصَاهَا and they will say what? That woe to us, what is this book? So they'll be given their book of deeds in their left hand, right? And they're going to be fearing what is in it. They're going to say, what is in this book? It hasn't left out anything that is small nor big except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has counted it. Except that this book has mentioned it, our book of deeds. So it's all going to be there anyway. We should do it before we get to that stage. And then we will have, then you're going to relax, Yom Al-Qiyamah, you know? <laughs> Take care of all of those things. Any questions about that? Muhsi. <clears throat> I know we only have a few minutes left But these next two names are very short So we'll go through them inshallah So the next two names are Al-Mubdi and Al-Mu'id Al-Mubdi and Al-Mu'id So these two names come together And they mean the beginner The one that begins And the one who restores The one who begins Don't say the beginner because that's like Makes it feel like a rookie, a novice, you know so the one who begins and the one who restores. Begins what? Uh, Al-Mubdi is begin, the one who begins. And Mu'id is the restorer. So there's a concept, the one that who, who bestows existence is called Mujid, right? From Wajada, which is to find something, to, right? To find something or to be in existence, right? Mujid is the one who bestows existence. So there's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one that brought everything into existence. When there was nothing like it before it. So for example, whatever, the cosmos, angels, jinn, insan, anything. When there was nothing like it before it, then when this thing is brought into existence, you can say, you can add, you can, uh, you can say the attribute of mubdi. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is mubdi. He's the one that brought it into existence when there was nothing before it like it. And when there was something like it before it, and then it's brought into existence, that is Al-Mu'id, the one who restores it, because it was already in existence. Okay? So thus, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us first, and He will restore us as well. So He created us from nothing. And a time will come when everything is gone. So there was a time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was alone in His existence. There was nothing with Him. He hadn't created Right? Now again, this is in relation to ourselves, to us, because as we meant, we think of time in a linear fashion, and none of that pertains to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because time itself is a creation of Allah, so He's not bound by time. Right? It's a very abstract thought that's difficult to wrap our head around, that's because we're linear in our, in our thought process anyway, when we're limited in, in understanding Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and cannot understand Him. But there was a time as far as from our perspective, that there was nothing along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then Allah ta'ala created for the first time. He created us for the first time. All of us will be dead one day. We will cease to exist. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bring us about again and He will restore us. So there's that bone in the back bottom of our spine. What's it called? Yeah. Say it again. Right. Okay. This is what... Everything will be, when our bodies disintegrate, this thing doesn't disintegrate. And this is the thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will regrow us from on the Day of Judgment. Okay? And so it's interesting that the, it comes in Surah Yasin, right? One of the, uh, one of the, the mushrikeen, he used to, 
he used to make fun of Rasulullah sallallahu and the and the deen. That uh, what is the verse? Uh, I can't think of the verse right now. It's right at the end of Surah Yasin. Nasiya Khalqa. Yeah, right? Anyway, he says that, this individual says that, what, are you saying that we will have life again after we are bone and dust? Like, how is that possible? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then goes on, he says that Allah ta'ala will recreate you like he created you the first time. You know, what's easier, to create something the first time or to create it the second time, to recreate it? It's easier to recreate. It took 22 engineers to design the first zipper. <laughs> okay <laughs> after that it became easy right now there's like machines and all that stuff that do it also so the first time to create the first time you create something is a lot more difficult however to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala it's not difficult it's, there is no difficult or ease for him it just is and it's all, it's all easy for him right we even say oh this is easy in comparison to difficulty so in that sense it's, there is no, the concept doesn't apply to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so just as he created us before, he will create us again. And he says constantly in the Quran, for example, he says, uh, that the day when we will roll up the skies like the rolling of the, uh, of the writing in its scrolls, just as we created, we, we made the first of creation, we will repeat it. So comes from this word. This is the, the verb for المعيد, right? This is a promise that we have given and indeed we will definitely do it. And constantly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions this throughout the Quran. Right? This concept. And usually He mentions, as far as I know, He mentions these concepts together. Right? That we created for the first time and we will create it again. Created once, created again. Telling us that He will recreate us. He will regrow us. So we should always realize this. And when we realize this, this should stop us from doing the evils that we do because it'll what it'll remind us that there is a day of judgment you know this world is not the world of justice this world is totally unjust right look at all the things we're hearing about in the news and all the, like you know like police brutality and you know people this that all these different weird things happening this is not the world of justice doesn't mean we don't try to have justice we try and be just ourselves but the day of judgment is the day because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who is just he is the one that Everything he's going to level the playing field for everyone, and everyone will take their right back on that day, and will be treated fairly. And so we should remember. They say that what do we do? How can we? How should this help us in our relationship with Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala and our actions? We should remember our origin and our beginning, and what was that? It was mud, and a filthy drop. That was our beginning, right? So what what pride do we take in being something great? We're not, compared to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah ta'ala is the one that is great, right? And this pride is what leads people, leads people astray. Right? So we should always be people who humble ourselves because Allah ta'ala made us once and He will make us again. He will recreate us. He will restore us, rather. So He is al-mubdi and He is mu'id. Any questions? Yes, no? Good, mashallah. Next week, inshallah, we'll. Well, we did four names today, inshallah. So next week, inshallah, we'll do a few as well. Many of the names now that are coming uh, come coupled with another name, and they kind of show like uh, another aspect to it, right? Actually, yeah. Yeah. What if someone praises something that's bad? Like, for example, something that is like evil, sinful. They praise it as if that's something that happens. Yeah. How does that relate in really like, praising Allah? Like, if, like keep praising this evil. Is that like, I don't see? I don't yeah. So you you shouldn't uh, you shouldn't praise something that's evil. But we recognize that Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is still the one who created that, right? He still, so that's why we. What is our belief? Our belief is that uh, that what amantu billahi wa kutubihi wa rasulihi, right? Wa khairihi wa sharrihi. Is it? Right? Yeah, it's all from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That all the good and the bad is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He's created all of it. He has his different reasons for creating it. And we don't necessarily know 
all the reasons. We definitely don't know all the reasons. We can infer and, and think possibly why he might have created certain things, but we don't know for sure why he created everything. You know what I mean? But all of it is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There isn't this concept of like, you know, he's competing with the devil and like sometimes the devil gets the upper hand. And that, that's not happening, you know? Um, yeah, but people will praise people will praise evil things, but that's that's also sinful, right? To praise or desire something that is sinful is sinful in and of itself, right? There's a hadith to that as, as, or respect as well. What is the hadith? That um, there's a, I forget exactly, but there's a hadith to that to that as well. That like your intent based on your intentions, right? So if you and and your your envy of somebody, so like some you see somebody doing good and you're like, oh man. Mashallah, like if I had a million dollars like this guy, I would also give. You get the reward for that. And if you see somebody doing some sin, right, then you're like, oh, I wish I could do that too. That's sinful. You also get the, you get the sin for it as well, <laughs> right? So we shouldn't look at, you know, sometimes it happens, right? You, get, you have some feeling and you kind of like, I wish I could do it, you know, but um, we just check ourselves at that point. Make tawbah and, and check yourself at that time. Say, so, you no, know, this is... This is not good. This is something that is an other thought has prohibited it, so it must be something. There must be something bad in it. Yeah. Wait, I think I asked this question like two years ago, but it's like the same question. So. Because I didn't answer it. So, <laughs> wouldn't wouldn't you have to do like some type of action for it to be considered a sin? So even like walking towards it would be considered, but like you thinking about it wouldn't. But you but you desiring to do it. That's the thing, right? Desiring to do it and wishing you could do it. Yeah. Is that it's desiring different? Yeah, right. So there's asthma, right? So we mentioned this before. There's asthma that if you, one is that you intend to do a sin. Right? If you just intend it, because there's a hadith regarding this, so if you intend it but you don't actually do it, then not only do you not get the sin, but you get the reward of not doing it, of refraining. But then to make the firm intention, and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go do this now, and then something out of your control stops you, then you still get the sin for having done it, because it was something from the side of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that stopped you. Right? But this is now, for example, like say, you know, you see people like dating and stuff, right? And you're like, oh man, this is, they're so lucky, I wish I could do that. That is, that's not appropriate. You know what I mean? You didn't take the measurements to go and do it, but you were like, you're extremely envious of them and you wish you could do it. And you feel almost like you're being held back and restrained that why does not Allah allow us to do that? You know, that's also sinful. Yeah. So, so there's a difference in sins based on desire and a passing thought. So you could like, right. see like something bad and be like, oh, that looks fun and then just walk away and like not have like a desire. But then if you have a desire like, oh, someday maybe I'll get a chance to do that and it's a bad thing, then that's a sin. Right, so like passing thoughts are not sinful, right? So that was the Sahaba asked Rasulullah about that because they were like, oh, you get passing thoughts and sometimes you can't control it. Sometimes it's just from shaitan or whatever, you know? So passing thoughts are not sinful, you know? And we just make tawbah, make tawbah for it and whatnot, yeah. Um, but I asked you last year whether we're held accountable for our thoughts and you said no. So how does that... Yeah, so it depends, like, right, when it's... Just meant, like, yeah, it's passing thoughts, even if, they're, even if they're recurring, but we recognize that, look, I, you know, there are thoughts that happen and I, I want to stay away from it. You know, sometimes, like, for example, I mean, you get oftentimes these types of uh, thoughts, for example, come up with the younger crowd and when it comes to dating and these types of things, right? It's very common. And so um, you want to have some type of outlet. You want to have, you want to get married. You can't get married. You want to have that relationship. Uh, that's something that because the nature of the, the age that a person is and whatnot, what's, what's kind of around them, will constantly come up. So not acting on that is going to be praiseworthy, right? And it's constantly where it's being a rem, it's, we're being reminded of it, right? But that's different from being like envious of like doing what you want, like what people want to do in that particular example is they maybe want to have, they want to have a spouse, they want to get married, they want to have that type of relationship, Right? And so you want what that married, married, after that marriage relationship, what that will provide. You don't necessarily want specifically, you don't want to necessarily like date and do all of those types of things, right? You might want what it looks like they're having, but you want it in a halal way. So that's different, you know what I mean? That's the example that comes to mind because, 
it's relevant, <laughs> right? But passing thoughts are not. Yeah, passing thoughts are not sinful. Uh, maybe something to add. It's different when you formulate, when you start planning, mm-hmm. and like, uh, you know, you start, you know, you make an intention to do something, then in that case you get, you know, become sinful. But at the beginning when you, you know, you just have a passing thought, you just leave it, then it gets, you know, it gets more than just a passing thought. You start lingering over it, you're still okay, you make trouble, you leave that. But then when it gets to the third level, you start planning. And then when that becomes, then that becomes physical action, you can still turn away at that time, meaning that you start walking towards, you know, as Allah Ta'ala mentioned, you even come close towards zina. So a person, the act of walking towards that, that's also simple. But if he turns around, it's a bit of a strange thing, because if you turn around at any given level of these stages, if you turn around, then that, that whole thing is wiped out and you get rewarded for turning around. So all of these, you know, so at, at any time you make tawbah, but then when you actually make the, the action itself, you know, you've, you know, you've planned everything, but, you know, it didn't work out, you get rewarded. But uh, then when you actually do the amal itself, then that's when it becomes, becomes physical manifestation of that amal. So you're not technically held accountable for those thoughts, but there are certain things which are internal, you're held accountable for. For example, jealousy. So jealousy is something that's internal, you're accountable for that. And that's something that you'll be sitting 24 hours, you know, or you'll be sitting at any given time. So that's actually a continuous sin that you're held accountable for, though it's something that is not manifest physically. It's inside you, hating. You know, Nabi said, I'm told, Abdullah ibn Abbas, that, uh, that you wake up and, So your heart doesn't have any ghil or ghish, meaning it doesn't have any uh, hatred and animosity, because sometimes, you know, sometimes, some people you just love to hate. You know, just love to hate these people. You, know? you wake up, you know, you wake up in the morning, and you just that person just got that look on their face, and you just like, and then they look at you and they tell you, "What's wrong with you today? What's wrong with you? You got that look on your face." So like, yeah, you know, like you know, like so there's internal things of animosity, so you get sinful for the, you know, you become sinful for those things as well. So you have to make a lot of tawbah and. Um, the best way to actually get rid of those things is to spend, spend a lot of time in making the dhikr of Allah Ta'ala, reading Qur'an, making tadabur on Qur'an, and all those things, and you know, spending, you know, taking a bit of time out, and actually making excuses for people when they do something wrong. Yeah. So if you basically, if you go and down and act, if you start acting on it, start planning it, but you turn away on your own accord, then, you're, then it's erased, and the tawbah is done. And, you know? But if you don't turn around on your own accord, and something else stops you, then, then you're not, you know. Then it's not wiped away until you you have to make doba from it. But it gets written for you before that doba. That answer. Yeah. No. You look like it doesn't answer the question. Well, I'm just again going back to my question last year. I feel like what he was saying is kind of again, like you were talking specifically about like a thought that would lead to an action. But just like thoughts in general, there's a lot of thoughts in general that don't lead to action. Necessarily. Yeah. So um, those ones you would be able to handle if they're not good. If you're well, if you're that's the thing. If it's 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 like conditional, right? So if you're <clears throat> if you're desirous of doing those things, and I mean, I would I would think it's kind of might be coupled with like being you know feeling that you're restrained by the religion and why can't you do it and kind of being upset about it, you know. So like his example with jealousy, it's not necessarily about like wanting to do something. Right. Yes. Yeah. So jealousy and envy, right? One, those, those are that you wish, you wish you had it, and you wish they didn't have it. That's how the scholars define jealousy and envy. So you wish them to be deprived of it. Right? Is entailed. Otherwise, like you know, somebody might have a nice car, and you're like, oh man, it's a really nice car. Mashallah, you know. Maybe one day like, I'll have that car. That, that's not necessarily a problem. But like, why does this person have that car? I wish this person didn't have that car. You know, being upset about somebody having some good in their life. That's the type of jealousy now that's sinful. You know? What about like, being annoyed by someone but not wishing like, harm or anything? <laughs> just like you're, just, you're annoyed. You're yeah, I mean, sometimes that happens. You know? <laughs> it happens often. Yeah. <laughs> 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 <That's funny. laughs> I mean, it happens, you know, that, that deals with the nature of people, right? It's just some people you get along with, some people you just don't get along with. So you should, like, ignore those people? Yeah, <laughs> as much as you can. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, you know, you, you, you know, try. But, you know, you have to try and rectify the situation. So sometimes you might have to work with them, right? 
So then you should try to remind yourself of their good qualities, overlook their bad qualities, buy them something, you know, like make the situation better and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to remove it as well. No, th- those are those are methods to try and to make the situation better with them. But you're not going to just get along with everybody, you know. There's going to be some people that just, in the very nature of things, you just don't get along with them, and you know. Like, what if it's their fault? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, you're not going to get along with everybody, right? Um, so you just don't you don't get along with them. So you should try and remove yourself because if you're irritated by somebody, it's difficult to. It makes it harder to be good to them. You know what I mean? Yeah. annoyed or upset or they don't, just don't seem to get it but they keep doing it and I try to be as understanding as possible like yeah, I'm still annoyed by them because I'm like yeah I mean I think if, if you're annoyed by somebody that's not sinful but how do you do you act on that annoyance do you make things difficult for them do you you know try and harm them in, in some way right even if it's something small make them feel bad yeah. that's now that's problematic because yeah you're going to be in situations where you can't you can't do it you can't get out of the situation you know you're just annoyed by somebody right you work I mean when you get in the workplace, like, you can be annoyed by a lot of your coworkers. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just happens. <laughs> anyway. Allahumma salam and salam to barak the other Zilali Walekam, Samia Watana Gufrana Karabana Walekal Masir, Allahumma Filana, the Nubana, Watahir Kulubana, Wahasin Furujana. Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins. Ya Allah, forgive us of our sins. Our major sins, our minor sins, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, all praise belongs to you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, we praise you in the way that is best praise, in the best praises of you, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, grant us realization that you are Ghani, Ya Allah, and we are the Fuqara, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us love you and let us love Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Ya Allah, grant us a life that is pleasing to you. Grant us a death that is pleasing to you and raise us on Yawm Al-Qiyamah with those that have pleased you. Ya Allah, bless us, bless our parents, bless our teachers, bless our mashayikh, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, guide us, guide our parents, guide our teachers, our mashayikh, Ya Allah. Guide our families and our progeny, Ya Allah. Do not let any of them or us go astray, Ya Allah. Ya Allah, let us be raised with those that have pleased you and grant us a place under your perfect and supreme shade on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And Ya Allah. Let us drink from the hands of our beloved Habib sallallahu alayhi wasallam and the Hawdul Kawthar which you have promised him. Ya Allah, grant us the highest stages of Jannah al-Firdaus. Ya Allah, grant us the best of this world and the best of the Akhirah. Ya Allah, forgive us and grant us all our du'a and all our hajat and needs that everyone has, pure needs. Ya Allah, grant it for everyone and remove everyone's difficulties from them. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa 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 ala Say